As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Mm. And Seb Stafford Law. Hello, Joe Devine. How's things? It's good. You were humming the Rocky theme tune, so I'm ready to go. I'm pumped up. That's good. Yeah. I can see you sliced Fire in my eyes. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Full of beef and muscle. Verve. Ready to talk about the football. Yes. Um, football. And let's smash today's football out of the park, a bit like what The Athletic do on a daily basis. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO for all of the greatest football writing available for a small... Small fee. And guess what? That fee got smaller this week because of a deal. Do you know what the deal is, Alex? I don't. Do you know what the deal is, Seb? I do. I yes. do. I do. Well, good. No, I don't want to hear what it is. Oh, I just want okay. you. Just wanted to know which of you was paying attention, and it's just you. <laughs> I'm. I'm too busy paying attention to the premium quality content. Well, there you go. He doesn't. He, the thing is, Alex thinks it's so good that he doesn't even think about how much it costs him. It's free. He's staff. Uh, but uh, for you, non-staff people, you can get the Athletic this week for one pound per month for six months. And if you do the maths, there, Alex. Yeah. That's six pounds for six months. <laughs> Think yes, of all is. the other things that you might spend six pounds on, yeah? An Uber to go from your house to another nearby house. Or two coffees. Or um, six I sp- pounds. I spent four pounds on a pret a soup the other day. Right. That's, I mean, that's a waste of you know, money. Compared to the, the Athletic, that is horrendous value. That's bad value. Horrendous it's like one value. and a half Sunday newspapers, mm-hmm. which is not a lot. Or if you buy any kind of skin cream, but you buy a large pot of it. Tub. A tub. Tub, probably. A larger tub. than usual tub yeah, yeah. from a Super Boots or something. Yeah. Maybe about six pounds. Yeah. yeah. Um, Moisturizing is really important. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And that is one of the best deals you'll get all year. So if you're not already subscribed, now would be the time uh, to do so. Check it out. The Athletic. Anyway, on today's list of topics to discuss, uh, the Manchester derby happened, of course. Watford and Arsenal was an interesting game that occurred. Leicester, Leeds, Liverpool, West Ham. I'm just listing football teams now. Um, other things happened which we will come to, uh, to discuss as well. It's a jam-packed Monday show and it's full of jam. So, uh, you know. Get some toast. Get some toast. Butter you, up. The, the audience can be our bread and we'll spread ourselves across them. Well, some To of make them. a jam bread. 
This hasn't gone very well, this intro. <laughs> Man- <laughs> Manchester Derby. Yeah, well, we, do you remember first we do the, the, the intro yeah, but music? Like, and yeah, but there the, was the really long pause. It's because your segue into the athletic yeah. promo was way too clean I'm and professional. You know yeah. how I hate the uncomfortable silences and I can't, I can't just languish in them like you do. Do you know what I hate? Yeah. Self-indulgent like deliberation on things that have already happened. No one likes this bit. No one listens uh, to it, you know, but you're forcing it to happen. They have to tolerate it because that's the nature of the podcast. I will uh, leave you now on the warm hands and the cool embrace of the bit of the podcast that people in the comments are going to say, I wish they didn't do this bit. It was better when they just talked about football, you know, that bit. Manchester City for one Manchester United. Interesting game, Seb. Interesting game. I, To be honest, I thought Manchester United started the game quite well. I thought it was easy to see uh, elements or, or aspects of improvement under Ralph Rangnick. Um, it was also, I mean, I think those uh, those elements did highlight the areas that, that haven't improved um, quite starkly in the second half. Yeah, so interesting behind the curtain for me. Uh, I watched the first half live. And I like you, I thought, okay, this is decent. City's still winning, City are better. Sure. City do have better players and our coach better. And yeah. so, you know, it, but it still felt like a par of a performance. Then I travelled to London and watched the second half and it felt, the second half felt like a parody of all of Man United's flaws mm. in a way. It was, it was ugly and it turned what was a, what was actually only their second Premier League defeat of 2022. Which right surprised me was because it? there's so much negativity but then that amount of negativity is kind of a um it's an indication of just how rotten a 45 minutes it was mm. and how um i think the word i'd use uh, how helpless united looked which is um i know all things about united lead back to how much they spent on assembling the squad but it looked like it looked like the kind of performance everton might give against manchester yeah. city sort of um unable to compete uh please don't hurt me what changed in the second half, Alex? Because as we said, we thought they were they were all right in the first half. Yeah, I, I think the, the pressing structures in the first half were reasonable, but also indicated how they would get bypassed. Right. So the, the press wasn't as uh, cohesive as it should have been. I think the the other problem was that particularly the ability of, of De Bruyne and Foden, De Bruyne pushing up and Foden dropping back to find that space in between the lines, mm. particularly around what they call zone 14, the sort of top of the box area, which is where most creative activity should occur. United didn't adjust to that. And as United got more frustrated and more tired and the individual errors crept in, City just kept doing what they were doing. So although, yeah. although the first half was reasonable, it, it clearly indicated that if United didn't adjust, which they didn't, sure. City would just ramp up the pressure and, and then make it very easy for themselves. So let me, look, can I dig down on that a little bit? Because they, they played a, they played the 4-2-2-2 formation, which is something that, that we haven't seen them do for, for a while. 
just to sort of set the foundation for this game, I was particularly interested to see them against a big team because Ralph Rangnick is is known for his ability to uh, not not necessarily just to, to counter attack, but uh, to to press big possession teams quite well. Knows how to play in those sorts of games, and so uh, it was interesting, of course, to see their results against smaller teams. But I was looking forward to a game like this to see if they would suddenly, you know, suddenly look like a good team. Um, the things that they were doing in the first half that indicated what might happen in the second half. Uh, why were they happening? Are they just a team that are not yet used to playing in the Rangnick style, or are they a team that are that have too many individual errors with the players? Um, I think both mm. is a reasonable thing to say. I mean, the issue that there's that funny little Paul Merson bit from a, a Saturday football thing where he's talking about Maguire and his ability to defend space in front of him, and he's mm. like, you know, he's good at Leicester because he sits back and he defends the box and. If you're going to press, you need defenders that are not afraid to be isolated one-on-one. One of the reasons that Liverpool can press so high or City can press so high is because in their centre-backs, they have sufficient individual quality to dominate one-on-one battles mm. and to cover space. And United don't have that. So Lindelof will get dragged too far forwards, like when Foden flicked the ball over him. Maguire will kind of want to go forwards, but not back himself in terms of his pace or agility. And so... If you start leaving those holes at the back, you're then going to get spacing problems through the midfield. And I thought where United look best is when they were pressing City higher up the pitch. Mm. So Alanga worked really, really hard. Sancho's quite a good presser from his time at Dortmund. Um, And if they compact that space and and press high, they look okay. But they they then have a tendency to overcommit in an individual press. And all of a sudden, the spacing problems throughout the rest of the team get exposed and City can just play straight through them. Interesting to see what you think of this, Alex. Because to me, when I watch United in that kind of situation, when they're against an elite opponent, you really notice the lack of, I don't know if I call it intelligence, but lack of instinct around their pressing. There was a game, um, I think it was the Liverpool game at Old Trafford. We did a video about it. We did, you know, um, it was all about sort of uh, cover shadows and how Man United players had developed this tendency of just running at the ball without really thinking about what they're cutting off. This was one of Solskjaer's last games, right? Exactly that, just before Solskjaer left. And when... When, a, when part of the press at United is bypassed or when uh, when a player is moved out of position by his own free will or because um, he's covering for somebody else, the um, nobody shuffles into the space particularly well. It doesn't occur to anybody mm. that that's what you need to do. And, and the Liverpool point is really interesting because you have those two fullbacks who, or wingbacks sometimes, um, who are always... Uh, often caught high up the pitch and uh, given a license to do things. But then that's because uh, Virgil van Dijk and um, more recently Canate, they understand where the space is that they need to cover. And for United, it just seems that that basic bit of footballing intelligence is just absent. And everything is a, oh, Harry Maguire's done that. He stepped out of the defence. Therefore, uh, me, Victor Lindelof, I need to go here. It's mechanical. It's not a natural Mm. sort of, um, I don't know what the... it doesn't shuffle properly. Mm. I think, I think, I think the only player that they have who shuffles is Fred. Yeah, yeah. I think Fred's actually really good at that. He's weirdly not been playing as much as he was before. I mean, Pogba's return from injury, which would be one of the reasons why. But mm. I've thought consistently under Rangnick, Fred's looked like the uh, not the best player, but the player who's most adapted exactly to the new this. coach. Yeah, he's, he's most involved in the most things. He's so sprightly. Yeah, he's he, not, I mean, he yeah, looked good in not, this game at times as well. Well, he was very unlucky not to score. I mean, mm. that was a really smart piece of goalkeeping from Edison, um, which I don't think got enough credit at the time. But they, yeah, when you press, you have to 
Um, and I, this is something that we'll probably come on to talk about when we talk about leads, but the way that the rest of the team orientates in order to facilitate that press is incredibly important. And United just seem to have this issue where their shape looks reasonable up until the point they really commit to a press. Mm. And then suddenly it looks weirdly ragged. I mean, I agree. Like Maguire gets exposed. I mean, so for the first goal, what Wambasaka is doing by either not going out to close a man or not dropping off to defend the space, but sort of standing halfway between the two things. Like that's the kind of thing. Maguire then looks really flat footed and yeah. uh, clumsy as a result of that, but it's not his fault. Like sure. he's horribly exposed. He should exposed never be in that, that position because he don't, first fundamentally he lacks the body shape to defend like that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the mobility to, to be, he's not Virgil van Dijk. Like you cannot leave him in a one-on-one and expect good things to happen afterwards. So it's a it's kind of a, a systemic failure to me. So, someone on Twitter described it as looking like a bear chasing a kite <laughs> when he was a plastic bag in a hurricane. But yeah. the, but again, he had the same problems with you know even against Southampton. I think it was Brozier like made him look really mm, quite yeah, silly yeah, a few yeah, times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the point when you're scouting a centre back particularly when you're going to drop all of that money on, you can't just look at, you know, percentage of aerials won, percentage of progressive passes completed or whatever. You have to assess those kinds of defenders in the context of the systems in which they play. You can't simply pick up a good defender in a... And this is, you know, when you go back to Ruben Diaz, who I wasn't massively sold on when he moved to Man City because he didn't defend particularly well one-on-one. But because City's system compensates for that, he looks exceptionally good. Yeah. That's I got that wrong. It City didn't. his right. strengths exactly. Yeah, but you but also need to know what you're bad at, don't you? Like when you when you when you sign a player, you need to know. Okay, so the, the signing represents probably what you want to become, and the kind of uh, you know the status of player that is going to take you to the level of the game that you want to occupy. Mm-hmm. Also needs to defer to what is already at the club. So if you buy a player that struggles in isolation. And you have a defense which is full of weaknesses and weak points. It can be very, very difficult for that player to ever mm-hmm. realize his proper value in that but, team. But this this is the problem with United ultimately. And obviously there's there's lots of conversations around uh whether Rangnick is like the right interim coach, having had this role at Locomotive Moscow and then, you know, not being coaching in the dugout mm. for quite some time, blah blah blah, Solskjaer, odd appointment, blah blah blah. But it stems back to really squad building. There has been no consistent approach to squad building. There's yeah. there's no thoughtfulness in terms of how these players are acquired, why they're acquired. The biggest single one, obviously, is the Ronaldo signing. Yeah, but even then, I thought I think the thought is in the value of the player commercially, which is an incredibly dumb way sure. to run a football club. Well, let, let's let's talk about that. I just want to mention something else uh, on uh, the defenders too uh, before we move on. Because um, we talk about the things that maybe uh, Lindelof and Maguire aren't best suited to as part of the system. Things you would expect them to be well suited to, they did poorly in this game. There were instances with both uh, defenders. Uh, with Maguire, it was um, De Bruyne shrugged, shrugged him off the ball. With Lindelof, it was Foden that shrugged him off the ball and made them both look like, you know... Wan-Bissaka as well, obviously, sure. the famous moment. Yeah, That is the, the perfect negative moment for... A modern player, isn't it? Because yeah. um, what it describes isn't really important. How it looks and what it seems to suggest is just perfect for the yeah. social media age because it's just, you know. And well, you we're can, talking about it. 
Well, yeah, but you can also imagine in five years' time, like, you know, having a bad day at work, something uh, bad happening to you in your personal life and someone using that as a meme. Sure. You know, and, and that's that's a terrible thing to happen to a younger player, particularly one who's kind of suffered under the weight of a £50 million transfer fee, but it still shouldn't happen. Is it a bit like that time that you said that France won the Euros when it was Portugal that did? Yeah, and we had to... Um, one of our on, illustrators had to illustrator, it. Phil, had yeah. to correct me, yeah. But you're actually the... Sort of and lead editorial. Kind of like, you're, you're, you're the guy with all the knowledge. Exactly that. And that's yeah. like I am. I'm being Phil Foden by Phil Fenner, sure. and I'm Aaron Wan-Bissaka. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I think I'm just being shrugged off the ball. Yeah. And not only that, I don't even remain in the frame. I've just been shrugged off the ball so yeah. forcefully that <laughs> I just skittle out of the shot. <laughs> I think people probably underestimate the physicality of yeah. small. I mean, De Bruyne no, sure. is kind of a tank, actually, yeah. and plays as a box to box and you know mm. he can he can do things that make you assume that he's crafty and wispy yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it but well, he's not let me ask you this would you prefer to be body checked by a smaller man you know but the, the contact area is like the full torso or would you prefer to be jabbed in the ribs with two fingers which do you think would hurt more the rib jabbing. The rib jabbing. Therefore, would hurt the more. smaller the man, the more it hurts to uh, to, well, so to bounce off them. You, you know? might, he may he might sort of get up underneath your rib cage, yeah. and that could be quite you know. What if he you know? I prefer to take the shoulder to shoulder challenge. I prefer that. Yeah. Well, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? The smaller the point of contact, the more pain. Oh, there no, there's that thing, isn't there, about how uh, a woman wearing a high heel exerts more pressure on the floor yeah, than an elephant area and all the all the forces oh, no, directed the, into one the physics is yeah, yeah. wow um but it's it exemplifies well your point. education yeah great should sure. we say that in latin <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even teach us science in my school obviously i don't even i don't even know what that is what science they, they did science? it was just all one lesson yeah you just went in and it was just it was school. called science it was yeah. just school it was just school <laughs> sure sure <laughs> We've, we've had this conversation a couple of times. I think it's sort of um, it, it's it's worth returning to uh, after this fixture. Rangnick, um, the the kind of pervasive theory now is that it was uh, it's either a bad idea because uh, if he doesn't do well, they're not going to want to keep him as a um, uh, you know uh, as a as a backroom staff member, uh, or it was a bad idea because if he does do well, they'll want to keep him and he, he's not staying. So. Uh, what do we think now? I mean, is it, are we at the stage where do you see enough Seb improvements in that game, despite the second half, despite the result, to suggest that uh, Ralph Rangnick is having a positive impact on Manchester United, and that you know that time will bear out the the, the wisdom of that choice, or, or, or no? Would you be worried? Well, uh, I've seen enough uh, to suggest that if over time Man United's transfer policy was built around what Ralph Rangnick wants at the club, it could be successful. But that's just never going to happen at Man United because what Rannick wants and what United do are two very different things. Sure. Um, and so what you've done is you've you've married a um, a, a very headstrong, uncompromising uh, head coach who's actually really not really a head coach anymore. He is an architect. Sure. In the kind of the macro sense, with a club who um, have basically created a very decadent uh, comfort zone for underperforming first team players. And you could not possibly have come up with the worst combination of things. So I don't see how mm. this works because it's gonna, it involves either Rannick changing his ways so dramatically that he becomes an appeaser or Manchester United um, allowing themselves to, well, not, basically not be performing a huge ideological shift. Yeah, exactly. And neither of those yeah. things is gonna happen. Well, here's a different question for you, Alex. I had this conversation with friend of the podcast, John McKenzie, the other day. We were talking about Ralph Rangnick. He is a friend of the podcast. We like him. <laughs> yeah, that's why I called him that, yeah. 
That's a weird interruption. The most emphatic I think I've ever seen. So he is. Yeah, John, I think Seb really likes yeah, you. Yeah, we do like John. Sure. Or, no, I know you like you saying it like it's defensive. Well, I think maybe he's assuming that you're being sarcastic or No, something. I'm being serious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John's I played rugby league with John. John. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I was okay. neutralizing we, okay. your sarcasm. Should we take a quick vote? Do we like John? Yes. Everyone likes John. Let's move on. Fine. Uh, the conversation I had with John. Mm. <laughs> is um is uh, it was about what Ralph Rangnick did uh, at at, uh, at uh, the Red Bull conglomerate, you know, sure. as well as as well as previously. It's my it's my contention um, that uh, what he is so good at, or has been so good at in the past, is uh, creating a team where the sort of overall unit uh, is more effective than the sum of its parts. Let's say, like, or brings more value to the forward than you would have thought. Then again, if you look at sort of what most big teams do these days, or by big I mean teams that either have lots of money or want to be dominating leagues, they play with a, a lot more possession, right? The expectations of, of, of uh, how teams are going to play against them are slightly different than they might have been in many cases with um, with uh, the, the Red Bull model or with, um, with uh, his uh, previous clubs. And also um, the level of players that they can attract being the key thing is different, right? Like one of the reasons, is it fair to say that RB Leipzig work well as a team is because despite the fact that they can't just go out and buy Jaden Sancho, they buy players that are maybe undervalued elsewhere or uh, aren't as well known, but they turn those players into cogs within a working machine. Um, that is enabled by the fact that because those players are lesser known or perhaps are undervalued, the ego doesn't come along with it. Now, I'm not saying ego with a big player is a bad thing. I think if you're one of the best football players in the world and you're earning £200,000 a week, you should have an ego. And if you don't like what your coach is telling you, I think that's also okay, right? I don't subscribe to the idea that every player, regardless of how good they are, needs to listen to exactly what some old person they is submissive. telling them. No, they no. shouldn't be submissive. They should be active within the relationship. When you're at Manchester United, and you don't agree with that, fine, Alex, that's fine. But so when you're at Manchester United as a coach and you have all of these players underneath you, all of whom were brought in for significant sums over, you know, different different regimes, came for different sorts of things, but they're all there because they want to win trophies. I don't think you can manage that team in the same way that you can manage RB Leipzig. And I wonder whether Ralph Rangnick's model or approach to football doesn't work if you are expected to be on top. It only works mm. if you're expected to be an underdog. Now, maybe that's a gross misunderstanding. No. But what, 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 what do you think? No, I think that's right. I think the, the couple of key points for that is that even as Leipzig started to become the best of the rest in Germany, mm. which they clearly are, uh, and obviously the appointment of Nagelsmann was part of that, their transfer policy did not alter a great deal. Yeah. So they were still looking for, exactly as you're describing, the, the unproven talents. That's why they scout West Africa particularly heavily, for example. Uh, it's why they look at, you know, Scandinavia. Scandinavia, yeah. and, and they have the thing with Salzburg. Currently, one of their best players in Cuckoo was a pickup from uh, PSG's academy where he wasn't apparently making the grade and he's now one of the most exciting attackers in European football. Yeah. So there is definitely a thing there. And I think the fact that uh, because they are part of the network, the Red Bull network, they're never going to be as liked, right? So they don't have to worry about themselves summiting and being popular and being media friendly in the same kind of way. They don't have to go out and chase the big star for the social media mm. thing because no one's going to like them anyway. Sure. Like they don't really care. So they can take pride in the way their model works, 
in how they overperform on the pitch. I think it's interesting that from a tactical perspective, uh, Nagelsmann's last season, they did start to try to dominate games more in terms of possession and play with less verticality. Yeah, as and we've I, seen with Klopp at Liverpool, right? Right, exactly this. But, but Klopp has nurtured that process over a longer period of time and he has made incremental changes to the squad in a way that allows him to do that. Mm. Um, I think it comes back to basically what, I mean, I agree with everything that you've said, and I think it comes back to what Seb said before, which is that... We all like John McKenzie. We all like John McKenzie. McKenzie. Um, But also, if you're appointing someone like Rangnick, you have to allow him to create everything that works within the club structurally. Mm. And his model of how that should be done. I mean, he's a clever enough man to be able to alter it so that it does account for the possibility of begging, buying bigger players and spending more money and having other factors affect why you might sign someone. But also his style of football is still a bit punch up. Mm -hmm. And United are caught between feeling that they always are punching down in spite of the fact that their recent results show no such indication. And also, I think, enough understanding that the way things have been done hasn't worked. But which of those is going to win out? It's always going to be the, we're Manchester United. We we don't have to do this kind of thing. They should just... The sensible thing for them to do, not in terms of actually winning stuff, but in terms of feeling more comfortable in their own skin, is to appoint a superstar manager go and spend a shitload of money on players and yeah. see what happens. Well, like the, and this this was part <laughs> of the conversation with John. they're never going to be clever. That's what the about, problem. I agree with that. And let's look at Real Madrid under Zidane, who won three Champions Leagues in a row mm-hmm. and did it without a sniff of a philosophy, to call it that, right? Zidane very clearly knew how to manage those players. He, he, he knew how to best keep the, uh, the dressing room um, uh, happy, the morale high. It probably is helped by the fact that he was one of the best players in the world and they will have all grown up watching him, so they all respect him. Uh, he's a superstar in his own right. Uh, and that they had all better players than the other teams that they played against. Mm. You can see an example from, from you know, as Seb said at the very beginning of this podcast, um, Manchester City was still winning in the first half, despite the fact that United played well, because they've got better players and they're a better team yeah. and they're better coach, whatever, right? I do wonder if that's the if that's the thing to do. I know that you know there've been rumors about United t- talking about Zidane before. I don't know whether that's true or not. The general response to that is uh, is dismay. And uh I wonder if maybe it's the right thing to do. Well, I think I think there's there's two things to say. the first thing to say is that United's dressing room is still too much of a mess for that to work at sure, this sure, point sure, sure, in sure. time. Yeah. Um so they'd need to go and buy their Sergio Ramos and their Casemiro mm. to build stuff on. Yeah. But I think the thing with with football tactics, right? The the stuff that, you know, when we when we talk about the tactics that are exciting, they are often developed as a way of compensating for not having better players, yeah. right? So even when Jurgen Klopp was coming up with the way that he created this kind of frenetic heavy metal football in Dortmund, and even previous, well, Mainz was a different thing, but at Dortmund it was because he was never going to beat Bayern Munich otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Even with really good players like Lewandowski and and Royce and so on. As he's become more established and had more money to spend, he's adapted his tactics, right? He doesn't need to do as much of that all of the time to win. Pep is a bit of a weird outlier because he's this sort of perfectionist who is constantly seeking to innovate almost for its own sake sometimes it Mm -hmm. seems and that's just how he gets his kicks 
And I like that because it produces great football. Mm -hmm. But almost everybody else is developing clever systems because they can't go out and buy yeah. a midfield of Tony Kroos and Luka Modric and Casemiro, right? Sure. So once you have to pick one or the other, you, you, you have a manager like a Zidane or an Ancelotti who is like all vibes and assembles a great squad, keeps them harmonious, gets them playing nice football because fuck, they're really gifted and technical yeah. and so they're going to win games. Like lets, him. It lets well, the organic process uh, uh, Yeah, unroll. and players like him. Sure. Exactly. I've this always, is really important. I've always thought, and it's a little bit of a simplification, but I always wary of uh, appointing a manager who um, his personality traits or his attitude towards the game is at odds with where a club is at any given moment. Mm. So if you if you appoint someone who is um, typically who typically has a chip on their shoulder to lead Manchester United, bad things are going to happen. Sure, um, I feel it, I don't think it's a coincidence that Manchester United's most healthy period in terms of uh, it being quite harmonious and for a long time going well was when you had Solskjaer there, and Solskjaer clearly had his flaws, but um, he was a deference to the previous era, and that worked because it suited the internal mindset. And players liked him. Players liked him. Similarly, Klopp at Liverpool was... Klopp worked at Liverpool because he's a brilliant man-manager, he's, he's a fabulous tactician, he uh, gets on very, very well with players, he inspires great performances. But also, he was your kind of um, rage-against-the-system coach for a Liverpool team who had not won the Premier League for a really long time and mm -hmm. who had a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Pochettino at Spurs. Pochettino making his name. Pochettino... Um, not taken seriously by the elite clubs in the world in world football. Spurs weren't, still aren't. And so the marriage, <laughs> sadly, the marriage was perfect because they were both aimed towards the same thing. You put Ranić at Man United, you have someone, as Alex has said, who is used to being hated, um, who is used to being an underdog, who's used to being at a club where you're not expected to achieve things and everything is a little bit of a, you know, a jab in the face for, for the orthodoxy. Sure. And you put him at the ultimate aristocrat in the game. I was just going to check all the things you just said also sound like Manchester United to me. But no, but... <laughs> not it, expected I mean, to achieve anything. Flip it though, but then I, I was having a very interesting chat with our friend Karl Anker um, before the podcast started. We like Karl Anker. We do like Karl Anker. And Does this podcast have more than one friend? I think apparently it, so. It's a very popular podcast. Yeah. It's very popular. It's very likeable. People wow. You know, like us. Anyway, and Carl said, um, "There's a kind of a, I, I'm paraphrasing, but there's a sort of a uh, an imbalance between the recognition that um, Man United are not currently very good, uh -huh. but then this expectation that we're Man United, of course we're good. Sure. Um, and there's a little bit of an issue between the sort of the, the relationship between the, those two kind of contradictory issues. Well, let me ask you this question yeah. then, to top off that lovely little monologue that you just yeah. did there." Um, the two names that are, you know, associate, and I promise for listeners, we will move on. Uh, and it's been a lot, it's been a long uh, talk about Manchester United, but this is the last question. Yeah. Um, the two names that are most frequently uh, associated with the club, so far as next managers go, Pochettino is one, mm. Ten Hag is the other. Mm -hmm. Now, based on everything we've just said, if you bring Ten Hag in, who is a who is a player who as a, as a, sorry as a coach who is is I'm sure well respected um, at least relatively so within the game for what he's achieved at Ajax largely for the way that he's enabled that team to play and the distance he's taken them but hasn't really achieved anything outside of that environment and you put him as the coach of Manchester United and expect it to be different from any previous year yeah. this is it's no Madness. reflection on how how how, how much quality Ten Hag has as a manager yeah. but does that really sound like something that's going to work nope. No, and I, I think Pochettino would be the safer bet of the two, and that's purely because he now has the track record of dealing with huge egos, sort of uh, sure. generation-defining egos at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, but Eric Ten Hag, the thing is, is about, about Man United, it does not matter how good your ideas about the game are. 
if you can't communicate or if you can't get the players to listen to you. <coughs> and if you're a surly Manchester United fan who has taken three, four years of public criticism, he's been scapegoated, all that stuff. And Eric Ten Hag walks in with his Eredivisie titles and his belief in how the game should be played. And says, now we're going to do it this yeah, way. People like me, people like you, people like you, we would think, oh, this is really interesting. This could add up to something. This, this is in your best interest. A lot of players don't give a shit. Like yeah. it, that's how it seems from the outside, at least. It's, it's, it's players who, um, who uh, they believe themselves above philosophy sometimes. Um, and that's particularly, that seems to be particularly I true. Think that's, I don't players. think that's wrong. Though. That's kind of what I was saying before. If, if, you, if you are Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, yeah. or if you're a player at Manchester United that's achieved an awful lot over your career, and some, someone comes from Ajax, who, sure, is a good coach, a good tactician, whatever, hasn't won the Champions League, hasn't managed in the Premier League before. I know, I know I'm starting to sound like I'm on you know, a different type of radio show. But genuinely, if you are a player in that situation, why shouldn't you think, well, hold on, I deserve the absolute best. I deserve someone who, who has all the experience in the world. I would respect someone in that situation because of what I've been through as a player. Surely that's expected. I, there's two separate questions there, though. Mm -hmm. Like, ultimately, Ronaldo, for example, and we're not picking him out for any particular reason, but he's still an employee of the club sure so if i if i work at a company and the board of that company decides to employ a ceo who i don't really like mm. i'm still drawing a wage like i'm still supposed no, sure. to get on with my job and do my job well but let's I say you're not as ambitious as a premier league footballer well that's obviously yeah. true isn't and it so you're but, not like but I, I know you could say do, alex I, stewart is at the top of his game sure but your game isn't as important as the premier league footballer's <laughs> game your career not. could continue you know well into your 120s i know you're you're a wealthy man i'm sure you've got some some cryogenic technology at home in your father's basement mm. um but uh, you know these players have a, have a short window to achieve what yeah, they want I, I agree they deserve I, better than you i think i think manchester united definitely deserve better than me in all kinds of ways um I have no issue with players expressing an opinion. Yeah. And indeed, there have been successful dressing rooms like Ajax in the 1970s where players were able to do that. Mm. But at the same time, there is a big difference between somebody going, have we considered this tactical approach? And someone who does come across as a little bit entitled marching into the office and going, well, you know, if you're not going to play me this way, pfft, you know, and and I I don't I'm not saying again that Ronaldo has done that. No, but sure. There is there is clearly a line between yeah. being a participant in a tactical evolution mm -hmm. and being a prima donna, and also being someone who is easy to get the best out of. Because right. even if you're not consciously um, deciding to not play for the manager or whatever the general accusation is, I think it's much more likely that it's a situation in which you don't feel your best. Yeah. Uh, you're not feeling utilised as well. Yeah. Uh, that well, that it stops you, it stops you being able like to play in, your best game. You know, in Football Manager, if you set your tactics up and you want everyone to press incredibly hard, there's always going to be a player that goes, Can't I don't like that. pressing very much, you sure. know, because, and that may be for very sensible reasons, like they need to conserve their energy for certain natural types fitness, of runs, natural six, fitness, right, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think the problem again with United is that the dressing room has some players, I'm going to say people like Sancho or Rashford, who are likely to embrace new ideas and try different things. And then you have certain other players who are maybe more inclined to take their own view of things. Mm. And then you have some players who would like to take their own view, but maybe aren't actually good enough to be able to do that. That's the thing. That's the thing. Because for me, when you look at Man United, there's a lot of players who 
behave as if they're among the very best players in the world. Mm -hmm. There aren't many players in that category at Man United at the moment. Sure. Really. I mean, there aren't Ronaldo any. was. Sancho could be. Uh, yeah. Pogba could be. Yeah. Fernandez maybe on a very good day. I don't think Fernandez is, if you're picking a World Eleven, Fernandez doesn't get into it. No, sure. Um, good player. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But, um, so you can strut a little bit when you've won five European Cups and, you know, Ronaldo has that but mm -hmm. before. Um, but it's, you can't behave like a star and have all the entitlement and the trappings of stardom until you've actually done it. And so United are probably, a lot of United players are a stage before they're entitled to behave in the way you're describing. And me. actually, it's interesting that you bring up Pogba because Pogba for me is one of the players who has actually really tried He's really well. hard yeah. having over the Solskjaer and Rangnick periods been moved into different positions and asked to do different roles. And it doesn't always work and it doesn't always come off. But I never look at him when he's playing and think, oh, that's someone who's coasting and doesn't care. Mm. Like, he he is showing a willingness to do that stuff, despite the criticism that he gets for being a I think so, Some of the criticism he deserves, but I, I think we're in this very strange world with Paul Pogba where the argument has gone on for so long that you only actually hear the kind of the extremities of the discussion. Yeah. And both sides are wrong. Most people, I think, concede really talented player, could be fantastic, sometimes is, sometimes isn't. Um, responsible for some of his failings, um, a, a kind of innocent victim of the ones around him sometimes. It's just a muddle of a, of a situation which has mm. been reduced to a kind of um, a binary analysis. Um, but he's uh, he's by no means the sort of the bottom of the pile at Man United at the moment, by no means. Well, quick question about Manchester City. Um, it, I don't, it, it, are they good? Yes, are they, good? <laughs> they are good. Um, it good. seemed that Gary Neville very much expected Raheem Sterling to start the game, Alex. Um, but Jack Grealish did, which was a surprise to Gary Neville. I don't know if it was a surprise to other people because I, I, I didn't hear anyone else talk about it. Yeah. Um, partly because I wasn't looking for anyone else who was talking about it. But I assume because <laughs> Gary Neville is a, is a, is a sort of, a, you know, an astute pundit that that was a surprise. And I'd love to know why. Uh, I don't know why it was a surprise. Well, why, like, why, why would you play Raheem Sterling instead of uh, Jack Grealish or vice versa against Manchester United, I uh, suppose, is my question. I think, I mean, Sterling's good at exploiting space in behind. And in the box as well. Like, Sterling's yeah. movement in the box is, well, they're very different players. Like, Grealish is going to, um, Grealish is an external player. Uh, he plays from that kind of that point from the left-hand side of the penalty box. Sterling is your guy. He's going to get to a back post. He's going to get to a penalty spot. He's going to be the exclamation mark on the end of a move. So why choose and Grealish then? I don't know. To draw Wamba Saka out of possession maybe. I mean, and it did, they seem to the sort of, right-hand side. They were very heavy down the left, weren't they? they see, like, all the players got the dragged across there. Yeah. And I mean, both those first goals came from um, from a congested left channel. I, 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 it seems like a very deliberate ploy. And of course, the, the thing with... With Grealish and Sterling, right, you've got Grealish as a player that, that attracts other players, mm. attracts the opposition, sucks them towards him and creates space elsewhere. Mm. I Sterling, think celestial body. Yes, kind of. Yeah. Um, and, and Sterling is a player who who exploits the space that others create for him. Mm. But if you're looking... An asteroid. To exploit the space elsewhere with, with players that are running late and arriving. I thought it was also clever the way that... 
by dragging all of the play over to City's left-hand side, you exposed Telus's deficiencies as a one-on-one defender yeah. on City's right-hand side. That yeah. was very smart too. So, like, it made a lot of sense. City would still have won the game if they played Sterling instead of Grealish. Sure. I, wonder, I wonder with Grealish whether it's partly because Grealish doesn't actually engage defenders very often, not in the way that Sterling does. So, when he was coming through as a young player, I think a lot of people thought of him as like, oh, he's going to beat three or four players, defenders in one move. He doesn't really do that. He's more of a passer and a distributor. And so if you're if you're a right back, if you're Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think you're you're faced with a different conundrum. Like Sterling is going to be is probably going to create many more one-on-one moments, which you're going to have to defend. And Wan-Bissaka's done well against those typically in the past. Sterling in yeah, the past, I think yeah. so. Maybe he wouldn't have done yesterday, like Alex says. I, you know, I think City won't win anyway. With Grealish, I think you're attracted to the ball a little bit more. The movement comes from the defender rather than mm. from the forward. And I wonder whether um, inverting that dynamic is a little bit more of a problem for Man United. Maybe, maybe we're kind of overanalyzing. I'm not Gre- sure. Grealish and is a bit similar to Luis Diaz in that way in that because you know that he's really good at dribbling and you know that he can draw fouls mm. you're he then, doesn't need to do it you're in two minds and that also you. gives him the ability yeah. to then make mm. clever little progressive passes which Diaz does too I've noticed this in Rocket League ah. oh, and this go. is if if I'm facing a player with good ball control mm. a player who can keep the ball close and can, can and turn with it quickly or can worst case scenario flick it over me yeah in some cases, I'm less likely to challenge the player. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm I'm worried about how they're going to easily get past me. Sometimes those players are not always the best at trying to get past me if I'm more of a conservative defender. Yeah, you know? but the problem is that, and you have this for the first goal, is that you've got to stick or twist, yeah. right? You either have to close them down and get your body shape you've right got to, to do force one them or out, Absolutely. or you've got to retreat back mm. and create this little carapace around the goal because you know that De Gea is not going to be progressive. You know that Maguire's a mm. bit flat-footed. Sure. So then you retreat and protect the space and wait for your right midfielder to come yeah. back and do that work, which fair play, Alanga did his best to help out there. Yeah. Wambasaka doesn't do either of those things. Yeah. He stands in the middle of those two options looking confused. Yeah. Okay, well, there we go. Let's have a break now, because that was a long one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yes, what a lovely break it was. Now, Watford 2-3 Arsenal. Seb, you've written here, lovely game from Erdegaard. Saka also played very well, but Arsenal still let a shaky-looking Watford team get a sniff. Yeah, I mean, actually, I didn't write that, but I do agree with it. Oh, who wrote that? Alex, you wrote that? I, yeah. yeah. Did you? I, I sometimes you wrote the li- You wrote the line... Let a shaky-looking Watford team get a sniff. Yes, I that's did. That's very blaw. That's it's very so, uh, Stafford blaw. Well, it's very right because I think we well, saw... Well, no, no, no. Hold on. Okay. I'll be asking Alex now okay. if he wrote right, that. Okay. How dare you? Alex, they uh, they got a <laughs> sniff there, did they? It's a little snifter. 
I think the the overriding narrative here with Arsenal is that they are improving significantly mm. and that at times the build-up play, particularly between Erdegaard and Saka, but also with Martinelli making these aggressive runs, Lacazette acting as the focal point, neat little back heels, creating space for other players, was like beautiful to mm, watch. The nice boys. Um, yeah, the nice boys. And then, you you know, if you add Smith Rowe when he comes back in after, I believe, a COVID thingy, you know, there's a lot to be really pleased about if you're an Arsenal fan going forwards, mm. but defensively it was still way too easy for Watford to create overlaps on the left-hand side of Arsenal's defence. Tierney looks like he needs a bit of a shake or something because it's not quite happening for him. Mm. Um, before Arsenal would aggressively defend the left-hand side by aggressively attacking through it. And now that a lot of the, the switch of players occurred on the right-hand side, because Erdegaard drifts naturally into the right half space and Saka then comes across him and in, it, it means that the focus there is more on how Arsenal attack down the right. The left is more of a defensive area. And when you've got, um, you've got Tierney and... <laughs> Xhaka in mm, front of him, mm. that does leave that flank slightly exposed, mm. although Martinelli works really hard pressing off the ball. So I just I just think I, my final line with this was that they're very pretty at times, but never quite ugly enough. Mm. And I think that's the that's thing. A, well, that's a, I think that's a hallmark of a team that haven't quite got used to winning yet. Yeah. So like, I agree. Like Arsenal played some really good football. Uh, it just seems as if they are, their game management is still a work in progress. The midfield is a problem. Like Tierney, I think will rebound to become a. I think he's a perfectly good sort of seven and a half, eight out of ten fullback in in Premier League terms. Uh, midfield needs upgrading. Party fine. Uh, I know we we pick on Jacker, but it's for a reason. He's not really like Arsenal for as long as I can remember have looked really vulnerable in transition, and that's a problem which transcends any improvement that's been made under Arteta. And so what you have is, um, well, what you had on Sunday was an inability to control a Watford team who. I don't know, are they overwhelmingly strong in midfield or in attack? They've got nice players here and there, and Musa Sissoko can be the, dynamic. But yeah, this is the it's problem. Not, Watford have a good front three. Yeah. Well, not a good front three. They have a decent front three who are tricky and have nice movement. I like Dennis. I like Hucho. Yeah. I think they're, they're pretty good players. Um, so you just stop the ball getting to them, and it's yeah. fine, and it's easy. And and Watford don't have the kind of midfield that are going to aggressively combat that. But somehow Arsenal, and, and this is partly a function of of playing a four two three one. You know, if if you do have that first four um, bypassed, and that's why so much of the pressing burden is on Lacazette and Martinelli and Odegaard to try mm. and stop that happening. And I, I again, I understand a lot of this, um, but I just think. I think I think they Lacazette's are, playing some really good football. Lacazette's like, doing very well. He's he's, he's he's not scoring, but, but that's I don't not think it's a his function in this team. This is the thing. Like I wonder whether um, internally he's kind of accepted the fact that I don't have to provide goals, even with Aubameyang having left. I can be a facilitator, and Martinelli might well be a centre forward in the making. Maybe he evolves into a number nine at some point. Saka can score goals. We've seen that. Um, Smith Rowe can score goals when he's available and when he's playing. This is a very interesting little group, and I suppose if you're if you're Lacazette, it seems as if his role has been simplified. You see him a lot with his back to goal, yeah, which is something you never used to. Um, and he's playing. You you so often see him in that kind of area between the edge of the box and the edge of the D. Like he's your kind of focal point, and there's a lot of action that goes around him. He's a sort of he's the sun in the Arsenal orbit. He, he also does a lot of midfield third pressing. Like he works really really hard, and I think when you've got 
a, a young three behind whoever that three is with Odegaard and Saka and Martinelli or Smith or whatever, having somebody who's going to put in the effort and be a bit of leadership at that end of the pitch. I also, mm. in terms of them getting uglier in a nice way, I don't mean this in any kind of judgment, but I think Ramsdale is super important for that because Ramsdale has a bit of bastard about him. He time wastes, he gets aggressive about things. Sometimes he, he goes a little bit too far with that stuff. Like I, I, a I think little Arsenal bit, need it. Sure. And, um, but he's he's still very young. Yeah, I think he. Um, there's a danger every now and again where you see him leaning into that personality, which people like us have helped create. I understand that. But there's a little bit, you need to be solid. You need to shout at your defenders. You need to be, you need to bring that um, personality that Arsenal have lacked in that area. But sometimes the playing about with the crowd, something like that, that that's sure, gonna, but next I, time he makes a mistake, that stuff's going to get reframed. And he's a really good goalkeeper, and he's played very well. He's made Arsenal better. All of this stuff. He just—I th- I suppose it might be a maturity thing um, that Nice just needs to settle down a little bit. I think. But there's some canniness there, which no, I no think doubt. they were definitely I, I, lacking. I think the only thing I fear with Arsenal is that the ownership or the people who control the budget look at this team and think, "Oh, it's going to—it's going to be great." And it might well be, but it still needs investment in in certain areas. This is not the point at which you say, right, well, we've spent 50 million pounds on Benjamin White. We've spent um, money on Partey. We've, you know, uh, Martinelli is coming through. We've got rid of Aubameyang from the wage bill. We're done now. Just sit back and, and watch it evolve. No, because I think that's a... I think what, that, what, what do they need? I would, I'm not sold on um, the centre-backs. I'm definitely not sold on um, defence midfield. I like Gabriel. I like Benjamin White. First Benjamin, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently so. Learned that this weekend. Um, I think they could do with another option there. I think if you, let's say, for instance, I know it's it's a non-issue now, but say they had signed, they had beaten Newcastle to Gamelish, um in January and you were lining him up alongside Partey, you think that midfield is finished now. Gimelish. Uh, yeah. Sure. But yeah, they, why, why did you wink when you pronounced it though? That no, was, because that's weird. I was winking at your inability to. I mean, I still said it a bit wrong, but I said it close. But you said it more with, with a flourish. But my point well, is, is that um, call it a flourish. It's just a different. Uh, there are upgrades available. In uh, <laughs> I don't know why you need to be so cruel about people that live overseas and have. Um, anyway, um, you need to you need to accept what this team's flaws are. You can't be you can't be seduced by. Um, by good performance against Watford. And you need to recognise, you need to um, help that, allow that to build momentum, fair enough, because it should do. Mm. But you still need to, um, you still need to recognise that this is, they'll finish fourth, I think, probably. Um, but to go, to compete for sort of third, second, first, it's going to need a new midfielder. No, but you know, three, four years down the line, what I want to hear yeah. is that Arsenal, this team of young, friendly chaps, yeah. going to turn into, uh, you know, well, it's ruthless. Yeah, but you've also got to be careful because cutting edge um, players. It's very nice to see players like Smith Rowe and Saka evolve, mm. and I think Saka in particular um, has developed into a player that I never thought he would become. He looks mm. terrific. Um, but if Arsenal don't keep pace with his development, you know what happens. This is the, this is what happens in English football. You yeah, get Man City, Man United. Yeah, I mean maybe not so much Saka because he seems tied to the club, seems to have an affection for it. Well, I think all of those young players <laughs> can see some things happening at the team. The, right? This is the thing, and as long as those things are happening, then yeah. those players remain happy. Yeah. If you get to, all I'm looking for from you, yeah, is hypothetically, yeah, if the uh, right moves were to be made, if uh, some a little bit of investment was to be made in the team, yeah. if uh, those players were kept happy and kept there. 
Are we looking at a young team that could challenge for the title in three years' time? No, I don't think so. Not three years' time. Four um, years' time. No, no, because I, I Five think... Five years' I, time. I, I think we're underplaying just how much investment years time. has gone up ahead of us. A hundred years' time. Never in a hundred years' time. There is no football in a hundred years' time. It's just Super League. And it's just one team. <laughs> it's just one team. Just one team playing, you know, training Doing by themselves. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what football <laughs> looks like in a hundred years. <laughs> On the live stream I'll tell you forever. what, the TV podcast in a hundred years going to be... Rubbish. Oh, Absolutely Lord. rubbish. Yeah. It would be awful. It would just be Alex from his cryogenic yeah. chamber. Yeah, and it, it just just his head. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think there needs to be a bit more investment, but I, I think they could very easily become... Um, I know, but I said with the investment. I know it's a complete hypothetical. Depends what you mean by challenge for the title. Well, I mean, like, as in, until March, look like they could legitimately win the title. Like, Liverpool could theoretically legitimately win the title right now, still. I think that's challenging. I think if Arsenal bought the right centre back or Saliba comes back sure. and is welcome back into the fold, they buy the right defensive midfielder and they get a really good striker to compete with Lacazette. Who is in his 30s now. Yeah. So you need to do that anyway. Uh, yeah. Then yes, I would say so. So that's, that's kind of, you'd say another 150 million, 200 million pounds. And then yeah. you, you put them in that conversation. But... Spending the money is one thing, whether they have access to those players um, from outside that sort of Manchester City, Liverpool group. Because if you're targeting players who, like the Lewis Diaz situation, you can want a player like that and you can sure. afford him. But if Liverpool also do, or, or Manchester City, or probably Man United. People just want a dream set. All we're doing here is allowing a little Let's dream just to facilitate some yeah. happy happiness. I prefer to think about it if I think that, that could, this project could become a thing. Fruition okay. could occur. Okay. Yeah. You know okay. what I'm saying? Okay. Believe, Joe. Believe. believe. I believe. Uh, again, preempting some of the comments when below this podcast believe, episode, of course, uh, people saying Seb Stafford Bloor, the Tottenham fan, who refuses to accept that Arsenal are good. Oh, no, Arsenal. Seb Stafford Bloor, the no, Tottenham no, no. fan, who says Arsenal couldn't win even in a hundred years. <laughs> Arsenal are very good. I think Arsenal are um, fourth best team in the country at the moment. Better than by... Spurs. Oh, God, yeah. I, I don't think Spurs are even in the conversation for the top four. They, I, look, I, look what I forced him to do. I think the table suggests that they might be, but then... Through attacking um, his integrity. Look what he's doing now. Yeah, he's You've got less him. integrity than you had 30 I, seconds I'm, ago. I'm, I'm chiseling away my own integrity. Now you're groveling at the floor of the public. I just... I, I, I break the, the... The public aren't to be listened to. People get this wrong all the time. People think the public are to be listened to. The public are to be ignored <laughs> and told. <laughs> You would make an the, excellent dictator. You would make an excellent dictator. Well, thank you. You have that kind of slight wild no, stop eyed. talking. Okay. Next up is Leicester 1, nil leads, and we'll be doing that after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was a great break. Leeds were better. Who wrote this one? I did. Okay. They were better then, were they? I they, mean, this was their first game better. under Jesse Marsh. Yes, it was. And the, the American coach. One of the problems that RB Leipzig experienced under Jesse Marsh was uh, they could be very vertical, but when they went forward, they had very few protections behind. Mm -hmm. uh, I spoke to Yusuf Paulson about this on The Athletic. 
Um, you spoke to Yusuf Poulsen. Yeah. The, in person. The RB Leipzig player. I did, yes. Over Zoom. Over Zoom. And he you said he was very nice. He was very nice. He was very, very impressive. Very smart guy. Um, might have been an accountant, by the way. He, he might have been. Yeah, I think so. As in, like, he could have been. Yeah, he wanted, if football didn't work out, because really, Sapolsen was never a, a blue chip prospect, even as a teenager. Um, he kind of ground his way into becoming a, a very, very good player over time. But um, he was thinking about a life beyond football. Yeah. Um, very smart. He Don't speaks about a dozen languages as well. Um, he's, a, he's a very smart guy. But he said that uh, one of the problems that was solved when Dominica Tedesco arrived at Leipzig was... Um, stability, safety when they went forward, mm. systems protection. And so when Marsh was appointed by Leeds, obviously having watched Bielsa's Leeds and the kind of the um, the collapse of Bielsa's empire there, uh, you worried whether he was really the right guy to um, to produce, to, to create the balance that Leeds needed and to create the safety in their attacking play, which they haven't had for a while. But but this was a step forward. It wasn't. It was imperfect because uh, Leeds still gave up chances. But I felt they had the better chance at the other end of the pitch. Their movement with the ball was very very good. Their movement of the ball was good. Their movement around it was good. Um, and Kasper Schmeichel was comfortably the man of the match, which should tell you about um, the caliber of Leeds' attacking play. Um, okay. And it was kind of it was a little bit of a sucker punch. And I the question I'll have, and I, I think I put this on Twitter was. When you have a new manager and everything goes well at nil-nil, what happens when you concede a goal and it feels a little bit familiar and all the novelty drains away a little bit? Leeds actually continued to play quite well. So uh, their position remains a little bit perilous, but uh, improved, definitely improved. And okay. I, I, don't, I don't know whether... I think whether this works out depends on a couple of things, um, including uh, how quickly certain players can come back from injury. Calvin Phillips has been a huge miss for Leeds United. Um, uh, obviously, um, Patrick Bamford has too because goals are a bit of a problem. But um, how is he going to be supported? Is it going to be with a kind of Leipzig-style um, recruitment system over the summer? Don't know, but we'll see. But I, I like the appointment. And okay. I think it's, it's also, I think it was important that you didn't wind back everything that Bielsa had done. I, I don't see quite as many similarities between Marsh and, uh, and Bielsa as others do, but um, there are some overlaps and it means that you don't waste time basically re-educating players about how to play. Sure. Um, so that's quite likeable. Well, let's say but, also um, the most important part of this appointment, of course, is that there's a new manager with the, the initials JM in the Premier League yes. now. Ooh. JM, of course, um, you know, being... Jose Mourinho. Yeah, and this new JM has um, an okay run of games. Mm. So they've got Villa, Norwich, Wolves and Southampton. Villa looked like they're in a good run of form. Wolves had a terrible result on Saturday. Southampton were, um, sorry Alex, they're absolutely dreadful at Villa. They look, that was bizarrely bad. And Norwich are, Norwich, sorry Uncle Damien. Um, so he might have uh, the opportunity to pick up a few points. Can we also talk about Harvey Barnes quickly? Uh, yes. Because I think Harvey Barnes should be playing for England. Well, we've had this conversation before, yeah. so I'm going to ask Alex this. Alex, given the talent currently in the England setup in Harvey Barnes's position, do you think Harvey Barnes should be playing for England? No. Yeah. But only because of the first half of that sentence. Right, sure. Like, he's, he's the key a lovely of context. player. Yeah. But he's it's, fantastic. He's just unfortunate to be existing just, at a time when there are so many players. Yeah, he should exist at another time. He should exist at another time. Yeah. I, I would like to see him give an opportunity in the squad. I just think that um, I completely agree that um, in a kind of a talent hierarchy, he's pretty pretty low down. He just seems like a Tottenham player. Yeah, he, he's not going to play. That's for, why you like him. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably quite fair. But at the same time, those kind of players are useful because within within the confines of an international squad, 
you need players who understand their role and uh, mm. accept the fact that they're not going to be starters, which I think could be, a pro as time goes on, I think it's going to be a potential problem with the kind of the um, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, sure. uh, Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho. I'll give you this. Yeah. I can see a scenario in which in Qatar or at the next Euros or maybe yeah. even in the USA in 2026, right? USA, Mexico, Canada, let's not. All know, of them. All yeah. of them. North America. I can see a scenario where Harvey Barnes, through the injury of another player, is on the bench for the first game and comes on for the last 30 minutes and absolutely destroys an opposition team and then gets like gets those 30 minutes throughout. He could be the kind of Odonka of 2026. Yeah, there was um, also Trevor Sinclair did this in 2002 when he had... Um, he made the squad uh, and then he was omitted from it and he went back and forward from um, Japan to the UK. And then when he arrived back in the UK, having been dismissed from the camp after the squad was cut down to 23, he was told that someone had got injured. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Danny Murphy. I forget who. Um, but he had to turn around immediately and go back 13 hours to Japan. Immediately? Yeah. They turned around it. And, he, and then oh. and then he um, he probably gave, uh, he was, I'm Man of the match was probably Nicky Butt in that game, but he gave a brilliant performance against Argentina right. in the World Cup and uh, that 1-0 win. Um, but anyway, so with that kind of player, what you can't do is you can't have him on the fringes and then just say, right, well, you're going to come on for 20 minutes here and you know be a sort of part-time England player. Mm. I think you need to involve them in the unit and um, there's no harm in having that second tier because they are accepting of their situation. You sure. can get 30 or 40 caps out of a player like that and important goals, You could he could be a, um, not Stuart Downing, because that's not really right but a, a, a sort of maybe a James Milner type yes, because Milner. Milner was Mil, Milner uh, at different times during his England career was very useful he was just <laughs> Do never you remember when it was Milner and Barry in the uh, England yeah. setup and uh, you know they were either sort of great stalwarts of the game or just um, you know and no offence to either player entirely uninspiring well I think the thing if Milner existed today in his prime I think you could get he'd be very very useful as an England sure. player because he, he was a good enough footballer to be used in lots of different ways. He was He's a tournament player. He's a tournament player. He's hardworking. He's honest. He's a super professional, mm -hmm. uh, as evidenced by how long his career has gone on for um, and how well respected he is by Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. And you could mould Harvey Barnes into something like that. Um, Those players are sort of underappreciated because yeah. they, they're not going to win the game. Harvey Barnes is maybe not that player. But I think Harvey Barnes could win a game. Harvey Barnes could win the game. Yeah, so. Southgate's shown that he's aware of this with the yeah. persistent inclusion of Connor Cody, mm. who doesn't even tend to play in Good the system that people but, like him yeah exactly yeah. he's there to be supportive he's he's a leader yeah. he is experienced sure and he generates the right ambience within a squad and when he comes on and plays he doesn't mess up mm. so that's fine also yeah um same as your tyrone mings um bit different to tyrone mings well no but i mean a good addition to the squad i would say Nice to have a Tyrone Mings there. People to seem to like Tyrone Mings. You know, he's a I like Tyrone player. Mings. Yeah, I like Tyrone Mings. Good football. Yeah. yeah. Fine. But a left-footed centre-back's also who can pass a, a bit more useful. Anyway, um, Liverpool won nil West Ham. It seemed like West Ham had enough uh, chances in this game, Seb or Alex, whoever wrote this, to uh, to win this, uh, this game many times over. Yeah, I wrote this, and uh, they sure did. West Ham created lots of good chances, typically coming through the middle or in sort of counter-attacking opportunities. Um, Fornals uh, was put through and did the kind of the... Do you remember the Danny Welbeck finish against mm -hmm. Bayern Munich a couple of years ago when he was thrown goal and he just tried to chip Manuel Neuer? No. Anyway, uh, Fornals did that and uh, didn't work out very well. No. Um, Manuel Lanzini hacked over from underneath the crossbar, should no. have scored. I wanted to say something actually about Michelantonio because he has, I looked it up, um, only scored twice 
in the whole of 2022. It's the TIFO curse. Maybe the TIFO curse, but he was brilliant. Yeah. It was almost, it, it's not a Lacazette type thing, but sure. um, it's almost his contribution because it's so broad and because Antonio does so many things so well, it um, makes his literal goal scoring less well, important. Can I say, uh, whenever this happens to a player, I always think of, uh, for me, a very clear example of um, a player's reputation preceding them very quickly. Wayne Rooney, mm. coming from Everton to Manchester United, that first season at Manchester United, uh, and of course at Everton before outstanding player, as soon as opposition teams realised that they needed to defend him, yeah. suddenly his goal output dropped off a cliff, but his commitment to the game and his it's ability to participate in the game changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I was curious during this game because um, I wanted to see who uh, Antonio compared with on FB Ref, and I looked it up. Um, and it's an amazing array of forwards. So Morata, Moreno, has in Villarreal's Moreno, Belotti from Torino, Inaki Williams um, from Athletic Club in Spain. And um, that's interesting because I would have thought, I, I think of, for instance, um, Gerard Moreno and Inaki Williams as very different players mm. and providing very different things. And in Antonio, you've got this player who, he's not, he's like a sort of a one-man gang, isn't mm. he, really? They does so many different things. I had um, one of those when I was a child. We, we have talked before about you, you don't want to talk about Chartered on the podcast. <laughs> no, it, was, it was better. It was funnier if you just carried <laughs> okay. on. Um, and it's, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that maybe maybe someone like Antonio needs a the things that he provides and the positions he plays because they're so unique. It kind of needs its own name. Mm. The same that, you know, Thomas Smith rammed out it. You know, that kind of stuff. You need, sure. a, you need a name for Antonio um, because he's, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter so much that he doesn't score goals because if you think, if you look at the things that come off his, if you imagine a, a bowling ball skittling, uh, you know, uh, opposition players and the sure. damage that does and the space that creates, that is Antonio. He's a force. I'd be um, happy to call it the Antonio role. Hands you up see, for agreeing with me. I quite like it. I quite like go. it. I think I think it needs it because That's I think he's a he's a uh, a good enough player to warrant it. I think if he hadn't come through the football league, mm. if he didn't have a, a, a quite an ordinary um, beginning in the game, and he didn't sort of grow into being sure. the Premier player he is, I think more of a fuss would be made about Antonio because he's so yeah. different, yeah. so different. And and where's so my good. gavel? I agree. Okay, good. Yeah, yes. fine. Luis Diaz. We should get a gavel for the podcast. It would be too loud. No, but a massive one that we... we I a think a, ru a rubber one that hits the table and goes... Maybe a gong. Can a we, gong? That we, you could just... I have a gong. You've got a gong at home. Bring that in for... Uh, it's in my parents' house. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Every yeah. time you uh, throw a zinger, you hit the gong too. Or maybe we could it use it... It hasn't been hit for 15 years. <laughs> to, to, we could use it to indicate breaks. Sure. You know? Yeah. You know how we usually indicate breaks? Joe just, just says it. Just yeah, says there's going to be a break. It's, it's, it's a good way of doing it, but, yeah. you know. It's okay. a lot easier yeah, than maybe. hitting uh, a gong. Yeah, Stafford Bloor overcomplicates things again. Now, Luis Diaz here, you say, is worth his own conversation. And we will have that, but another time. Yeah, okay. Uh, other lines. Oh, we've Antoni scored a hat-trick for Brentford, of course. Two Disappointing that it was against, uh, against Norwich. Norwich. Yeah, that's that's Brentford's first hat-trick in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, he takes penalties in a really good way. Yeah, does he, what does he do? Uh, he takes like one step and absolutely thwacks it across. Krull right. went the wrong way first time, right way yeah. second time, still didn't get close. Right. And the third goal, uh, just, well, it was his first goal actually, but mm. it was like a back post tap-in from a... That Christoph Eyer header on at a corner mm -hmm. supplied by Christian, Christian Eriksen. The, th the thing about that goal is, for those who've seen it, um, Brentford are good at set pieces and they invest a lot of time in sure. affecting set pieces. Yeah. Still unforgivable defending. You cannot, 
if you maybe the gong could be for when we say the same thing the fiftieth time. <laughs> when you, if next time when you talk about Brentford, you reference how good they are at taking set pieces, I could hit the gong. Oh, but this is actually going to be about about, about how bad Norwich are or something. So it's yeah, I don't think it's gong worthy. Yeah, Norwich no, are no. bad at defending. So if you sure. if, if, if you everyone knows that if you're defending Brentford, what are you at ease? You're thinking like, who am I looking after? You know, who, who's who's my man? Where's what else are you thinking? You, well, where's Ivan Tony? Yeah, because um, how can he yeah. score? I think that all the time. Anyway. I, even when I'm not watching football, where's right. Ivan, Where Tony, is Ivan right Tony? Tony? I wonder but what he's doing right now. Good flick header, Dong. good corner from Ericsson. Why is Ivan Tony really in five nice yards of space at the back post you know, by himself? You've talked a lot today, and I sort of yeah. just zoning out. I kind of don't care about okay. what you're saying. I don't Go know. If like, that goal sometimes I see myself it. as a sort of a conduit for the listeners, and I wonder if they're listening to you and thinking. I wish this guy would shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a good gong moment. Yeah, gong. Instead of, instead of that, you just hit the gong and that yeah. silences people. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> I think it was Uncle Damien that said, uh, we desperately have to win this game. And then Norwich lost. So, uh, you know, it's a, a real shame. Other things, we've already mentioned Southampton being terrible. Maybe we could talk about that again another time too. Um, and they I think... It's terrible in one game. Southampton have been very good otherwise I, in 2022. I, I agree with you. And sure. Coutinho That's what this says though. Just they were... Great. Actually, it says horrendous against Villa. Yeah, no, they were horrendous against Villa. Sure. Good use of horrendous. Though. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah. a useful use of... Uh, yeah. yeah, horrendous. I just, okay. I just want to contextualise it to Coutinho. avoid undue negativity. No, okay. fine. Yeah. I agree. We, we want to avoid undue negativity as much as possible. And that's why we're ending the podcast. <laughs> uh, this has been the TIFO Football Podcast. Thanks very much uh, for listening. Seb Stafford-Bloor, Dan Kishun. Dan Kishun, Herr Devine. Yes, and thank you, Alex Stewart. Mm, sorry, I just had an eyelash. Sure, you had an eyelash. In my eye. In your eye. Oh, that's painful. That Instead of around the eye. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be fine though, thank you. Okay. Uh, thanks as usual to producers Sol and Adonis. And uh, we'll be back next week with another thing, which is almost exactly the same as this. And for some reason, you will download and listen to, even though you've already heard it a million times before. Thanks. Goodbye. Athletic.